This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public grace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name of Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Sometime during the intertestamental period, we won't worry about the dates, the Greek armies under Antiochus Epiphanes uh, attacked Jerusalem. The intent was to deal with the Jews, to destroy the temple. Uh, And part of what happened with that uh, was a very interesting and significant event for the Jewish people over the centuries. And that was, and they believed that Somehow, miraculously, the oil in the lamps in the, in the temple miraculously continued for seven days. You know, beyond what they had oil to keep going. And this became the origin for the observance of Hanukkah. You may see the menorahs, you may see the candles in Uh, Jewish people's homes or in front of, or you may drive by one of the synagogues around the city and we'll see uh, not oil lamps, but to see electric lights uh, that represent that that menorah. And each day during the observance that these are are lit. Some historians have suggested that in Jerusalem, at that, at the time of, of Jesus, that people would put these candles in their windows, and so kind of looks would look like an ancient version of what we see today as you drive around the city and you see all of the different Christmas lights out there. Uh, that these candles would be there and and be glowing, and there is. A school of thought that suggests that some scholars believe that uh, Jesus took advantage of all of these candles and the familiarity and the importance of that uh, to the Jewish people as a tradition uh, because it was never given by God. It was not part of the law, but it was something that they really loved. And so in John, we read the account of Jesus and the seven I am's. And one of the I am's, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. 
I think sometimes it's important for us to realize that we can and need to appropriate things uh, that are not part of necessarily the, the biblical narrative. And I'm going to have to switch back to you because my computer has just started to act up. So, uh, Graham, you want to go to the next one? Uh, I have a thing that keeps popping up, and it's just driving me nuts. Uh, so, we want to talk about Jesus' birth today. And the thing that we, we kind of understand about it is that uh, the birth of Jesus was not observed in the New Testament. There's nothing about people uh, having an annual celebration or commemoration of that birth. Um, and even historically, you know, if you were to look at, at some of the histories of, of religious uh, feasts and festivals since the time of Christ, uh, they will acknowledge that the celebration of Jesus' birth was not among the earliest of Christian festivals. Uh, in fact, what's really interesting, when you get into it and start looking at it, we don't even know the date of Jesus' birth. And somebody may be thinking, well, wait a minute, is December? No, it's not. There's a chance, one in 365, that it might be December 25th. But we don't, or 366. But we don't know when Jesus was born. You know, I, I keep thinking about this, you know, like, can you imagine having a kid and saying to the kid, oh, we don't know when you were born. You know, we get birth certificates, we have ways to, to know the date, and even for important historical figures... I'm not saying Jesus is not important. What I'm saying is that there was nothing recorded that tells us when he was born. And I think the best demonstration of, of, of that is that many years ago I was looking at the Catholic Encyclopedia and it quoted a Catholic theologian, a man by the name of A.M. Lupi, L-U-P-I, who stated that there is no month of the year to which reliable scholars have not attributed the birth of Jesus. So we could be doing this in July. Or March. You know, pick a month. Pick a day. And you might wonder then, well, why... You know, as important as, as the calendar was to the Jewish people, why did God not tell us when Jesus was born? And I, I have my own thoughts on that. But, uh, you know, what is interesting, though, is that over time, December 25th has become one of the two most important days in Christendom. Uh the events around the crucifixion and the resurrection, what we call Easter, and Christmas. And, you know, there are a lot of people who have the idea that, you know, as long as you go to church Christmas and Easter, that's all you need to do. And I kind of 
want to challenge that a little bit, you know, to, to think about it. Um, but one thing is true, that even of the two, I suspect that the birth of Jesus is the most loved that we have. So let's just take a quick spin into the New Testament and see what the New Testament says about the birth of Jesus. And this is where it gets really interesting. Uh, Matthew and Luke give us accounts of what, you know, will be re- what are referred to as the birth narratives. They, they talk about the angelic visitations. Uh, they talk about uh, the story with, about the birth of John the Baptist. And then about the birth of Jesus. You know, they give us quite a bit of detail about the, the events surrounding the birth of Jesus. The Gospel of Mark doesn't mention it at all. And John, it's implied. What do I mean by that? Well, for example, in John 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And then he goes down a little bit later and says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. We have beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father. One of the things I often point out when we're studying the Gospels is that Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very, very similar. And John probably wrote later in time, was aware of at least one or more of the other Gospels, and kind of came with a a fuller picture of Jesus. You know, it's like, okay, you know the... The biography of Jesus from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Now let me, let me take this to a different level. Let me go deeper and talk about it. John is the one that gives us the seven I am. So, uh, for example, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the light of the world. I, you know, and you, you go through this, but John gives us the significance of the birth of Jesus without talking about those events. And then we go over to Philippians 2, verses 6 to 11, where Paul kind of incorporates the birth of Jesus uh, in this way. He says, Who, referring to Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue Acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, for Paul's uh, Christ statement, if you want to call it that, it focuses on the idea that Jesus was with God, existed in the form of God, and became like us. I'm going to talk about that in just a minute, but you know that's a powerful idea. For the Son of God, existing in eternity, to become a mortal, that means he can die, 
and suffer. And come as a helpless baby. And that becomes an important part or dimension of uh, Jesus becoming human. Uh, So, there are a couple of really important things that the angel says uh, here in Matthew 1. Uh, He identifies a couple of names by which this baby will be known. Uh, And I think that's one of the things, you know, in in titling uh, this a a birth to remember, I don't know too many people. There are some in the Bible that are named by God, named by angels. But generally, you know, the parents and the community name children, right? Well, the the angel in announcing the, the coming birth says first that he will be called Jesus. Jesus is kind of our form of uh, Yeshua or Joshua and has the meaning God saves. Uh, Many people, you know, one of the things I've come to appreciate, uh, you know, in in North American culture, uh, we grow up and many of us, you know, our names are chosen by our parents, uh, maybe from names that have been used in the family, maybe the names of celebrities. Uh, you know, but not particularly because they have meaning. I was really disappointed when I discovered that Wayne means wagon maker. <laughs> I thought it should be something really, you know, great. And so I would see Wayne on school buses. And then gasoline pumps. Tell me I'm full of gasoline? No. Uh, but in our, in many cultures in the world, and I was trying to say, in, in, in our, among our uh, African family, to be present and to share in those naming uh, ceremonies, if you want to call it that, where uh, names are, are, are given and are identified. And, and for those of us who are totally clueless, told the meaning of those names. And it's always just impressive. You know, and I, I go back to the Old Testament, to children being named. You know, and I think about Jesus here, who uh, Old Testament equivalent name would be Joshua. And it means God saves Wow, what a name to live with. What an honor to wear. And then the angel says another name, the name Emmanuel. And Emmanuel, if you recognize the E-L and the N, that means God. And what it means is God with us or God is with us. And it goes back to the prophet Isaiah who foretold the birth of Jesus many centuries before. And he shall be named Emmanuel. God with us. And so think about this new baby that's being born who has given these, these identifications right at the very beginning. God saves. God is with us. 
There's a very strong presence of God here uh, for that child. Uh, so when we come to talk about the birth of Jesus, there's a, a concept that's really important for us. And, and I can't say that we use the word a lot, uh, but it's the word incarnation. See, when's the last time you used the word incarnation? Uh, Although sometimes people might use it to say, well, you know, that, that child has incredible talent. It's like an inc- reincarnation is the way we probably use it more of a, of a very talented grandparent or great-grandparent or something like that. But incarnation has a very significant meaning because if you look at the uh, middle of that word, well, actually the third letter on, The C-A-R-N has the idea of flesh. Uh, If you go to a restaurant and order chili con carne, the carne is actually coming from ancient languages, like the word incarnation, and it, it has the idea of meat or flesh. And so the significance of the idea of incarnation is that God, Jesus, became human, became flesh. And so John 1, he says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, At this point, our minds start to boggle. Because we think about this one who was with God, who was God, who now is being encased in this form, not my body, but in a human form. And we start to really stretch to try to understand how that could happen. Well, Paul there in Philippians 2, that, you know, that he emptied himself. You know, he had to, to lay aside, you know, that, that, that there are things about his deity that he had before he became human that he had to put off. They couldn't fit. They, they couldn't work with becoming human being just like us. The early church had a problem with this trying to understand it. And as there are today, there are people who profess to believe, but who somehow deny the concept of the Incarnation. John, in 1 John 4, talks about the significance and importance of acknowledging that Jesus has come in the flesh, and those who deny that Jesus came in the flesh he said, is the Antichrist. You know, the total opposite of what Jesus represents. So that believing in the Incarnation is essential for what we need to have when we talk about putting our faith in Christ. And John gives us a window, you know, we see in Colossians and some of the other uh, books of the New Testament uh, we see the, the, the coming and the beginning of, of false teachers who were denying the incarnation of Jesus. 
And you think about what that does to the gospel. It just empties the gospel, really. I mean, because if you don't believe in the incarnation, if you don't believe that the Son of God became human to give his life on the cross for our sins, what are you left with? Well, there were some in the early centuries of Christianity that said, well, that he looked like a man, but he just appeared to be that. Oh, great. Jesus is just some kind of spook? An apparition? Or he wasn't really God's son? And you know, you think about what all of this does to the idea that Jesus came to earth, as the writer of Hebrews talked about, became just like us in every way. He cried as a baby. He was hungry. He knew what it was to be tired and to be hurt and to feel physical pain. He knows all of the things that you are dealing with and I am dealing with. He knows the rejection. Because he chose to become just like us. And that's why the concept of the incarnation is, is so important. In Romans 8.3, Paul said, God sent his son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. He came like us to give himself as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. Think about that. You know, as we go through this this season of the year, every year, we, you know, we are kind of uh, almost bombarded with images and thoughts about, you know, the baby Jesus. And But you realize that that baby came into the world to be a human being, to be like us, to give his life on the cross for us. And that was part of what was foretold. Um, So in remembering his birth, it's really important for us uh, to, number one, understand that the the biblical accounts really bring us to the the historical reality of Jesus. I was talking to somebody recently there, don't believe in going to church, but they said, I believe in Jesus. I believe he was historical and real. I didn't say at that point, so what are you going to do about it? But, you know, you really, it's not just something we acknowledge, say, Jesus was real, Jesus was historical. But Luke sets the stage, gives us the name of the Caesar and the governor. It's not a once upon a time. It's a very real story, account, maybe a better word to use of how the Son of God became like us, was born into the world to live 30, 32, 33 years. You know, we're not exactly sure how long, but to take that path to the cross. But all of this was foretold by the prophets in the Old Testament. It was foretold by angels. You know, and I want you to think about, you know, the, the, the stories of the, the angels announcing, you know, to Joseph, to Mary, 
to Elizabeth, to Zacharias, the coming of John the Baptist, and then of Jesus. You know, we get excited about the birth of a baby, don't we? And we find out somebody else is somebody else is expecting in the congregation, and we're excited. It's good news. But think about if if the carrier of that news is an angel, that it has eternal and cosmic significance. It's a wonderful event. The story that we read about in the Gospels involves kings and shepherds. You know, if you think about what that represents in a society, those are the highest and the lowest people. I'm not saying shepherds are low, but if you understand what I mean, is that there are, there are different ways, uh, different levels, different functions. Um, everybody knows who the king is. But you notice we don't have any names of the shepherds that came to see Jesus after he was born. We don't need their names. We just need to know that they were there. And that they saw him after hearing the message from the angels. The birth of Jesus was one that will be and has been remembered for centuries and centuries. It has come to touch the lives of people all over the world. To reshape cultures. But most importantly, to Bring people to believe in this one who gave his life for their sins. You know, the way we need to respond to the the story of Jesus and his birth is is not just this little sentimental schmaltziness. Is that a word? Schmaltziness? Uh, It needs to be with the powerful conviction that God's Son became flesh became human to be just like us, to walk on this earth, and then to give his life for our sins. So that becomes then, what are we going to do about it? Just going to have one day a year? I think that's the problem I have with the, you know, the, the typical world's view of the birth of Jesus. Let's just have one day, all right, one month, So you think about Jesus. But does that change anything in our world? Does that bring peace, righteousness, holiness, hope? Other than, I hope I get something for Christmas. The birth of Jesus represents the most unique event in human history. That the Son of God became human. He came in the likeness of us. He came as a baby. And if you can imagine God becoming helpless, it doesn't work, does it? We just can't fathom that. But think about what it took, how much love it took for him to do that. To become totally dependent Because he wanted to come into this world to give himself 
as the perfect sacrifice, as the perfect gift to humanity. So I hope each year as we come around to this time of year and we keep being reminded about the birth of Jesus, that we look back at like Matthew 1, which we read a while ago, and we think about what that means. That God's Son became like us. That God saves. And God came to be with us. Let's stand as we sing.